You're listening to Save Coastal Wildlife, the podcast. everybody welcome to save coastal wildlife the podcast my name is joe reynolds and i'm president executive director of save coastal wildlife Nonprofit. and we're joined tonight by my good friend jen hello jen hi joe how are you i'm doing well and also from another good friend and member of save coastal wildlife we have samantha hey joe hey good how are you guys doing tonight Yeah, so in case people don't realize it, the sound levels sound a little weird. It's because we are social distancing. So I'm here in Atlantic Islands. And Jen, where are you located? I am in Ocean Township, New Jersey. And Samantha, where might you be? So tonight's topic is all about predators. We're talking about lions, we're talking about bears, we're talking about sharks. We're talking about those scary animals that might just look like they want to take a bite out of us. But really, actually, they play a really important part of any healthy ecosystem. Without predators, prey populations would just explode because there would just be nothing there to remove any sort of sick or old or injured or even sort of like prey that just, you know, is very young. And, you know, we need something in place to control that population because without it, the prey population just explodes and there wouldn't be enough food for the survival and cess of healthy prey populations. So by controlling the size of prey populations, these really sort of scary predators help to slow down the spread of disease, which, hey, you know, that's what we're talking about now with COVID, right? And so predators help to limit the amount of disease that's out there in the environment. Predators will catch healthy prey when they can, but also catch sick or injured animals, which helps in the formation of healthier prey populations because, 
And this goes back to like when you learned science in the fourth grade, only the fittest animals survive and are able to reproduce. And in addition, predators help to reduce the negative impacts that their prey may have on the ecosystem if they become too abundant or if they stayed in one area for too long. So when predators like sharks and cheetahs and wolves prey on grazing animals or animals that eat lots of vegetation, it keeps the prey population moving around in fear and prevents overgrazing in any one area. As a result, more trees, shrubs, bushes, grasses, plants, primary producers, which then provides habitat for many other species, and more food for many other species as well, too. So what happens if we remove these carnivores from an ecosystem? Well, we could take a look right here in New Jersey. We've lost the deer population, and that population's exploding. Um, you know, herds of animals, uh, the, the animals that are eating on primary, uh, on vegetation, the primary producers will just grow and grow and grow. Their population will just expand because there's nothing there to control. And then the whole ecosystem just collapse in chaos. Large herds of herbivores would just grow and overgraze their food source. And as the food disappeared, guess what? That's when the entire ecosystem just collapses. Other species will starve, and boom, you have just a degraded ecosystem. And you might be saying, well, what about like people, you know, people can hunt animals. Yeah, I mean, you know, they sometimes they go out and they kill predators and, you know, they help to control sometimes populations, but people really cannot reproduce the power of mother nature because generally hunters, they go after the, the big species. They go after the healthy species. They don't remove the injured, the sick, or even in some cases, older animals, right? So it's, we need the predators. We need these large sort of scary looking animals to really keep a healthy ecosystem in check. And I'm talking about like apex predators, top of the line predators. I mean, these are basically species of animals that don't have anything picking on them uh, except when they're young except when they're babies and that's when they're vulnerable to predation but when they're older they're just so big and so scary um and so you know ferocious that there's just really nothing picking on them it, it's apex predators as an animal that dominates the food chain by their flawless stalking and hunting I mean, these alpha predators are so well evolved and so well adapted to their environment. They just don't really have any sort of peers in their natural habitats. Whether or not a predator is an apex depends on the ecosystem itself, of course, which ranges from, you know, aquatic to terrestrial, grasslands to forest to tundra to freshwater, whatever. But, you know, we're talking about like um, tigers, which is the largest species among cats. Male tigers can weigh up to like 600 pounds. Saltwater crocodiles are the largest of all living reptile species. Um, brown bears, which are found across North America, Europe, and Asia, and one of the largest land predators in the world. Uh, and then, of course, the great white 
shark, ladies and gentlemen. The great white sharks are found in almost every ocean of the world. They stalk their prey by swimming along the bottom. And when the opportunity arrives, they launch this super fast attack. The hunting technique, however, depends on the type of prey. For bigger seals, they usually bite and wait technique, wherein they bite the seal and leave it to, to bleed to death before feasting on it. But for smaller seals, they might just drag the prey underwater and drown it and then feed on it. So it's just this ferocious predator, you know, stalking animals out there. It doesn't make a difference if it's young or old or sick or whatever, right? It's just, it's, it's primary focus is just to feed and in the process it helps to control populations to make sure that not one species ever over dominates um, an ecosystem and you might say wait a minute what about shark populations yeah i mean there there's this apex predator but many apex predators in fact i think about just about all apex predators don't reproduce all that much right so when you think about a fish species they produce, a normal fish species like a striped bass or bluefish produce, you know, one single female produces hundreds if not thousands of eggs. But a shark species, like a great white shark, I mean, you're talking, you know, single, single digits to maybe, you know, um, double digits. And that's really about it. You know, uh, one single female will produce maybe a handful of young, and that's about it. I mean, we're taught to fear predators we're taught to fear sharks big cats and lions and bears and cheetahs and leopards we're often taught to fear carnivores without really understanding their unique behaviors um, and their benefits their essential roles in maintaining a healthy ecosystem i mean think about it what would a world without predators be like what would a world without predators be like well, really, you don't have to think about it all too hard because it's happened. It's happening here in New Jersey. We don't have many predators, but it's happened within a national park. It's happened in Yellowstone National Park. Have you guys ever been to Yellowstone National Park? No, it's a dream of mine. I wish. So Yellowstone National Park is located in the western United States, largely in northwest corner of Wyoming and extending into Montana and Idaho. It's huge. It's a huge national park. It was created on March 1st, 1872, signed into law by President Ulysses S. Grant. And Yellowstone, as I mentioned, was the first national park in the United States of America. And, and really widely held to be the first national park in the entire world. Because really, in most parts of the world, uh, or in all parts of the world, except for the United States of America, um, parks were really these preserves held by uh, the aristocrats and rich people to use for hunting or fishing or something. There really wasn't um, a large area of land devoted to um, people just going out and exploring wilderness or in nature. Um, so that all changed um, after the United States of America created Yellowstone National Park. Um, and the first national park uh, devoted for the people, devoted for people going out and exploring nature. And when I'm talking about nature, I'm talking about real wilderness. It's Yellowstone's, Yellowstone National Park is a huge area that spans uh, a location, spans an area 
over 3,000 square miles, comprising of lakes and rivers and mountain ranges. Uh, just, you know, it's a huge, beautiful area. And hundreds of species of mammals and birds and fish and reptiles and amphibians have all been documented to live there at Yellowstone National Park. It's a beautiful national park. It's home to grizzly bears and wolves and bison and elk and just a huge amount of diversity of wildlife that in some cases, um, it really just can't be found anywhere else. So back in like the 1920s and the 1930s, we're killing off, we're killing off wolves. We're killing off predators. We're killing off um, bears. You know, we're killing off, of course, buffalo, which is not a, a predator, but we're, it's a large animal. It's a herbivore, but we're killing off all these animals, um, but especially predators, because we just really, you know, we're, we're killing off buffalo because they make a nice prize for some people. Um, you know, like Teddy Roosevelt, who, of course, was a big preservationist, but he also was a big hunter as well, too. Um, and then we're killing off predators like wolves and coyotes uh, because uh, they're, they're killing off uh, species like um, sheep and, and cattle, which people in that, you know, that time period made a lot of money off of. So, you know, we're killing off these animals uh, because they're killing off our profits. And we really didn't understand the role these animals played within the ecosystem. So, you know, for killing off wolves or coyotes, and what's the big deal, right? Um, you know, we could certainly survive. Uh, we didn't understand that the niche or the role that these animals played. So in the 1920s and the 1930s, up until really the 1940s and, and even into the 1950s, we're killing off the, the wolves and coyotes. So by the time that the 1950s come around, or the 1940s, there's really no more uh, wolves left in North America or most parts of North America. And so what's the consequence of that? What's the consequence of us killing off uh, the wolves? Well, in Yellowstone National Park, elk populations, deer populations, um, these herbivore populations, we're starting, their populations were starting to explode. So the elk populations or the herbivore populations started to, to eat more and more and more. Um, and as a result, uh, there wasn't much plant life. The willow trees were starting to get um, cut back. So there wasn't really any sort of young willow trees to be found in Yellowstone National Park by the time we get to the 1960s, the 1970s. It's hard to find any sort of young willow trees. There's older willow trees, but as soon as they die, what's gonna happen? The forest is gonna disappear. Um, you're no longer gonna have a forest ecosystem in Yellowstone National Park. You're gonna have a meadow. Um, and so what's the consequence of that? Well, then the, the bear population disappears. Your, your bird species start to disappear and, and your larger bird species like bald eagles and other hawks and birds of prey. And also your fish species does, uh, disappear because fish, fish like really cool waters. Most fish species here in North America like cool waters, your freshwater species of fish. And so as, as you're opening up the landscape, your rivers and streams and creeks start to get really warm. Um, and that's a problem for fish. Uh, if they could swim away and go to cooler water, they will. 
Uh, but if they can't, they're, they're really just going to um, disappear. They're, they're just going to die off. They're not going to do that well. Um, there's not going to be enough oxygen for them, and they're just going to die off. So uh, fish, most of your freshwater fish species um, that live in rivers and streams need cool water. They need shady water. They like shady water. They do, we- uh, do well on that. And so as, as we're opening up the landscape in Yellowstone National Park, the fish are disappearing. Your bear populations are disappearing because they have a hard time finding food now because there's not enough fish. Your bird populations are disappearing because there's not enough trees um, for them to to nest in. And so all this is happening um, because the elk population and your deer population and your herbivore population is expanding. It's growing and there's nothing there to control it because the wolves are gone. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So, so the National Park Service, along with other scientists from other organizations, uh, got together and decided, you know what? Uh, well, first of all, they were studying it. They didn't really know what was happening, right? Because, again, not many people really truly understand the power of predators. So it took them a while to figure out what was happening in the park system. Why is all this biodiversity leaving Yellowstone National Park? It's a park. It's a huge park. There's no factories surrounding the park. And so it's not pollution that's causing these animals to, to disappear. It's not pollution that's causing the trees to, to die off or disappear. It's not pollution that's causing um, the elk population and herbivore population to explode. So it took them a little while to figure out what's happening. But once they came to the conclusion that it was wolves, was like okay that was a little light bulb oh it's the wolves it's the predators we need to bring back the wolf population it was controversial this is the 1970s 1980s and so uh surrounding yellowstone national park is guess what you still have cattle ranchers and people who are raising sheep and and things like that and so if you're bringing back wolves to yellowstone national park um that's going to impact potentially uh, the people who make a living of, of raising cattle surrounding Yellowstone National Park. Uh, but when the gray wolf was eventually re, uh, reintroduced, and this was a gray wolf population that came from Canada, because again, uh, there really wasn't many gray wolves, wild gray wolf populations roaming around the United States of America. We had killed them all off. Uh, I think there was just uh, one or two um, in certain parts of the United States, but certainly not a robust population. So we had to go north to Canada to get um, wolves to bring him back to the United States of America to Yellowstone National Park. And so this took place around the mid-1990s, uh, uh, mid rather, I believe 1995. Um, and I think there was only one beaver colony in the entire park. Um, and that's how it just shows you just how... Um, little wildlife was really left in the park again a beautiful park but just not really um, full of life not really uh, biodiverse so and that was all because of lacking predators and so by the time the wolf came back in in the mid-1990s it didn't take long for all of a sudden life to come back so uh, trees were the first to come back uh, the willows, the aspens, the cottonwood plants, um, they started coming back um, in a couple of years. And then as soon as they came back, other life started to come back. Uh, the bears, the fish, 
the birds started coming back. And so within, you know, 10 years or so, you had all this life starting to come back. And that's all because, all because Yellowstone National Park had brought back the wolves. You take away the wolves, the entire ecosystem collapsed. There was chaos. There just wasn't any really sort of, it just wasn't as biodiverse as it used to be. You bring back one species, and one species only, the wolf, the gray wolf, and within a matter of years or a decade or so, you have this tremendous amount of biodiversity coming back. And that, my friends, is the power of an apex predator. Yeah, that's crazy. Crazy that there's such an impact that the lack of one species has. I know, know? right? Almost like everything is interconnected (laughs) on each other. It's true. It's so amazing, right? So what's causing the shark? Are people, I mean, you don't really hunt shark, right? Or do people do that? Or is it fishing, industrial fishing? Or what's making the sharks disappear well there are many threats to sharks uh there is there are people that uh will uh fish for them recreationally you know you got to keep in mind that shark populations um are different than most fish populations because a lot of fish populations like striped bass or bluefish they uh produce hundreds you know one single female can produce thousands of eggs but for sharks shark female sharks uh, she might produce like a dozen, you know, and not all those will survive. So at the end, you know, if you have a fem- one female shark producing a dozen young, maybe only two or three will survive. Where if you have, you know, uh, a single uh, female bass releasing lots of eggs, you know, it's going to be a, a greater percentage of those surviving. So um, and so shark, shark populations, it takes a lot for them to to recover and to reproduce unlike other fish populations. The shark populations reproduce at a much slower rate. And so if we're taking sharks, um, fishing for sharks, either recreational or commercial, um, it's just unsustainable. The big part though, I will tell you around here, is there is some degree of recreational fishing for sharks and that could have an impact. Um, I, I know off the coast of Long Island, there used to be shark hunting um, they would call it monster fishing and they would go out hunting for sharks. And, you know, that was, that was huge business off of in Montauk, Long Island. I'm not sure if that's still taking place today. Maybe somebody could uh, let us know if that's still taking place, shark hunting or monster fishing off of uh, Long Island in Montauk. I know in New Jersey, there is uh, some degree of, uh, recreational fishing. There are some people that will go out and capture sharks for recreational purposes uh, it's, I don't think it's a big impact, but here um, there are people that will hunt sharks and chop them off, chop their fins off um, and sell those fins in places like Chinatown. How do I know this? Oh, yeah. How do I know this? Because I was sitting someplace at a restaurant outside in Highlands, New Jersey, and I saw this boat coming in with a thresher shark, and I love thresher sharks. They're one of my favorite sharks beautiful not really it's all not all that big of a shark um but a very gorgeous long tail small mouth they don't eat people because the mouth is so small 
Um, they eat small fish, but just a really gorgeous uh, long tail and a very uh, beautiful face and, and mouth. And so I saw these guys bringing in this um, beautiful thresher shark, and they were, you know, off. They got off the boat, started taking pictures, and then lo and behold, you know what I started to see after that? What? So this black car came up, like a black Cadillac. New York City license plates, or New York State license plates, I should say. But they're, it's obvious they're from New York City. And so uh, out pops these guys. Um, the, <laughs> this envelope is exchanged, and the shark goes inside the trunk, and, and we never see that car again. It's like a drug deal. Yeah, yeah, but for sharks, and I, I will tell you, guaranteed that that shark is going up to to Chinatown because you go to Chinatown even today, you could find shark fin soup in certain restaurants in Chinatown. Where are the sh- where are the fins coming from for shark fin soup? Yeah, here. Yeah. Right. So and it's why do and what why do they have why do they like shark fin soup, Joe? I've had shark fin soup, and it just tastes like water to me. I don't. It does, there's no taste. There's no taste to that. There's no. Just it's not like you know. It's not like you're eating like really good dark chocolate. Don't men believe that it's supposed to make them virile though, or something? Oh, I don't know. I never heard that before. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I it, it didn't work for else. me. All I could no, say is it didn't work for sorry. me. I think it actually shrunk for me, but. Uh, <laughs> the opposite effect on me but um yeah i'm not surprised that's probably true to a certain uh, degree all these if you look at tigers you know tigers are being killed for their body parts there's a price tag on many animals for their body parts you know the only reason we're killing elephants is because of their ivory the tusks we, we don't eat elephants the meat's too tough rhinoceroses we're killing rhinoceroses just for their horn uh, which is basically made out of fingernails. When I was a kid, I was very stressed out and nervous. I would eat my fingernails or chew on my fingernails. I can tell you that didn't make my penis grow or do anything good to my body. Um, it made me kind of sick. So eating your fingernails or eating the horn of rhinoceroses don't really do anything good for you. Um, but yet people believe it because it's like sugar pills, right? If I keep on telling you, that if you take this pill, it's going to make you, you know, it's going to give you superhuman powers. Eventually, you're going to believe that. And that's what's happening to a lot of these um, animals with price tags on them, like sharks and lions and tigers and bears, is that there's price tags on them because people think, oh, if I eat the gallbladder of this animal, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get these amazing abilities. I'm going to get really healthy. I'm going to do all the, you know, my hair is going to go back, all these great things. Mm -hmm. And it never works. It never happens. Joe, I make it stop. <laughs> make it stop. It's not easy. It's it's certainly not easy. Uh, I mean, really, you have to have habitat. You got to protect their habitat, and um, that's not always easy to do, right? And uh, I mean, really, the best thing to do is just protect the predators. You got to protect the predator. In fact, that would make a nice bumper sticker for Save Coastal Wildlife. Protect the predators. So we got to protect the predators. Um, and by the way, I should point out, when I was younger and better looking um, and just starting out as being an environmental educator, 
um, there was a guy. There was a guy who liked me and had a helicopter, and he took me took me up in his helicopter because I was talking about sharks. He heard me talking about sharks during one of my environmental education talks, and I didn't know much about sharks. And I was like, ah, there's no sharks along the Jersey Shore. So he heard me say that, and he was like, yeah, there is, there are sharks along the Jersey Shore. He took me up to his helicopter, and and lo and behold, this was summertime. It was like July. And um, he took me from like Sandy Hook on down to the Masquan Inlet, and along that that length of beach, there was this long line of sharks, about I don't know a hundred yards or so away from where people were swimming. So there's the beaches, and fifty to hundred yards out was this long line of sharks. I'm not exactly sure what species of sharks. It wasn't great white. Um, I don't know, but it was it was definitely sharks swimming around. And so there are sharks along the Jersey Shore. We might not hear about them. We not, might see them. We don't realize it until it's a great white shark, and then we all freak out. Um, right. But there are plenty of sharks that call the Jersey Shore home every summer, every year. So we're living with them. Um, and so now we just have to do a better job of just uh, protecting them and letting them do what they want to do. You know, I will tell you that, you know, people who go to the beach have to learn that it is wilderness. Just like when you go to a forest walking or camping, you're going to have to deal with bears and ticks and snakes. In the water, it is wilderness. You're going to deal with sharks and jellyfish and other things that might want to take a little bite out of you or something. You got to be careful. Yeah, it's nature. It is nature. Yeah, it's wilderness. It's not like your pool. Going to a beach is not like going to your pool. So you got to, you got, it's wilderness. The ocean is wilderness. Yeah, right. All right. So uh, that's it for Save Coastal Wildlife, the podcast. Thanks for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. So we'll catch you another time for Save Coastal Wildlife podcast. Shalom.